This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to Free Agency Day Number 5. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined to break down all the latest happenings, the news, the rumors, all the whispers, with the one and only owner, operator, lead reporter, and the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And of course, above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Chris, what's going on, man? Oh, not much. You know, just uh, relaxing, trying to soak all of this in and sort through all all this stuff. But uh, it is an interesting, bunch of interesting stuff to talk about today. I would say the most interesting thing to talk about would be what the other New York football team did, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Let's start with the Jets. First things first, Chris, you were in on the Le'Veon Bell conference call. I want to hear all about this. First of all, did you get a chance to ask him a question about the mixtape? Because that's what I was waiting for. And second of all, what are some other interesting nuggets that you got from the conference call? Yeah, you know, I I was debating and I was I was thinking, I was like, I got to try to jump in and ask him a, a question here. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm the, the rest of the beats, not always my biggest fan. So I decided I'd wait, I'll, I'll wait and ask those questions to Le'Veon one-on-one and, uh, in OTAs, I'll, I'll, I'll sit down. I, I have, I have a whole bunch of questions for him about his mixtape, about his rapping and about, uh, what he listens to. So I, I'll have that for in OTAs, have a bunch of good content from there, but the, the conference call went well. He gave a lot of, he's a lot of good answers. Um, you know, it's just started where, you know, he started talking about he's been playing football since he was four years old. So it sucked and it was weird to have to sit out a whole season and to just sit there and watch. Um, he admitted that, you know, he's, you know, the reports of him being 260, all that is way overblown. He's been working out five days a week, but he admitted that, yeah, he's not in football shape. He hasn't played football in a year and he's going to, he's going to have some rust that he needs to work and shake off. But by the time he gets done with OTAs and training camp, he feels confident enough that that will be all gone, and there's no reason to think that that won't be the case. He also talked about how he's got no regrets about his decision and where it led him. And then this is the good stuff where he's, uh, you know, he said his whole family were Steelers fans when he was growing up. Every Everyone in his family was Steelers fans. He was surrounded by them. He couldn't shake them. But he had a love for Curtis Martin, and he was the only one in his family that he was like, I don't care that you're all Steelers fans. I'm rooting for the Jets. And that he said that definitely played into his desire to play for the Jets. And he said that, you know, as he's sitting there watching games all year and he's trying to figure out, you know, where it could be the best spot 
And of course, he's doing the same thing that a lot of us were doing is looking at opening uh, how much cap space and what teams are going to have that to be able to run at him. He sat there and thought, you know, the Jets are the team that he was targeting, the team that he thought would make the most sense. And then once they talked, the numbers lined up and everything, and then it just worked. And then, of course, the, the, the one that fans are really going that's over is his comments about Jamal Adams and uh, how persistent Jamal was in recruiting him. Said Later on said he was calling him, texting him. He was pulling up in my, in, on him in Miami like, yo, man, <laughs> you got to go. You got to come with us. And he gave Jamal credit for being a hell of a recruiter. Said it made him feel good, made him feel wanted. You know, it, it, it played a huge role in him wanting to be here. And obviously, you know, all the stuff is sounds nice. We know the the reality that the biggest deciding factor was the money, but um, but all this stuff made it so he didn't have to second guess it. How he didn't have to really think hard about it. It made the decision easier. And again, they're not going to get into this with him with the Steelers, but part of it is a new team wanted him. He felt felt that, and sometimes players want that they want to go to a place where they feel valued appreciated and wanted and that all of this stuff was all played a part and and uh he's you can see you see the clips of him putting the hat on signing the contract just like kind of stunting out there he's happy he's excited you can see it on his face and uh jets fans have every reason to be as excited and happy as he is Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Couple of notes here. Dan Graziano from ESPN reporting that Le'Veon Bell has the highest guarantees of any running back going into the 2019 season other than Saquon Barkley and Leonard Fournette who have their contracts fully guaranteed because of the way the rookie scale works. So again, as I've been saying, even though Le'Veon Bell probably lost out on the overall scale of the contract, when it came to the guarantees, he did get more money guaranteed to him year one right away than he would have had from the Pittsburgh Steelers because, Chris, we've talked about the rolling guarantees and how those work and how if he would have had a catastrophic injury after the first year, he wouldn't have seen all those guarantees. Also, for what it's worth, even though the money is what got the deal done, Jeremy Fowler from ESPN actually reporting that Le'Veon Bell left a little bit of money on the table to go to the Jets at the San Francisco 49ers when they swooped in at the end. May have offered a little bit more in guaranteed money. It was a three-year deal that would have been almost fully guaranteed. It was a tough call, but in the end, he decided that the Jets were a better place for him to go. Now, you could argue that it had something to do with the fact that he had already settled on them in his mind based on what he said. You could think that it's Curtis Martin. You could think that it's Jamal Adams. It's probably a combination of all of it and obviously the money the biggest factor the other thing that i found interesting here chris that jeremy fowler came out with is that even though the raiders never made an official offer antonio brown and Derek carr were very heavy in recruiting him as well the same way that jamal adams was so jamal adams had some competition the jets had some competition there at the end from the 49ers but in the end Le'Veon bell is a new york jet 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, and a lot of people were mocking Jamal about his ability to recruit and like, you know, you're not going to be able to pull this off. What makes you think you can pull this off? I'm telling you, I, I, Jamal has an infectious personality. He's somebody that people are drawn to. And you can even sit there and kind of roll your eyes at him sometimes. But he's still, he's still, that charisma still tends to pull you in. So, uh, you know, and it's very clear and obvious that Le'Veon really appreciated everything. And then it's also, you know, a respect thing from his peer. Like, Le'Veon sees how good Jamal is. He sees the intensity. He knows how bad Jamal wants to win. That's that's one of the things too about Jamal. Like you can sense, like everyone knows how bad he wants to win. And he went on that rant about wanting dogs, and that thing had to appeal to Le'Veon Bell. He's got a very similar personality that way. So uh, you know, and that's these football players. They look for stuff like that, and it makes total sense that they should. Chris, we go from a happy Jets moment with Le'Veon Bell joining the team to breaking news and something very sad, unfortunately, happening to a former member of the New York Jets. Johnny Lamb Jones, who is picked number two overall in the 1980 draft, has passed away. He'd been battling cancer for a while, only 60 years old. A lot of people don't realize he was an Olympic gold medalist in track as well. Unfortunately, this is something that some people had a feeling was coming for a while. I talked to Wesley Walker here and there. As you know, he was a guest on Play Like a Jet, and we're working our way through a career retrospective with him. And he even talked about it during our interview that he had been talking to Lamb, but that Lamb was sick and he was still fighting. And we knew that Lamb was in bad shape. And so, unfortunately, he passes away. I know a lot of people get upset when his name gets brought up because the Jets traded up all the way to number two to draft him that year. They thought they were going to pair him with Wesley Walker and create one of the nastiest combos in the entire league. But Lamb just never really learned how to play that wide receiver position. He was pure speed, but it was never harnessed. I talked to Wesley about this, and Wesley believes that a lot of that was on Rich Kotite, who was the wide receiver coach at the time. He believes that if he had been the coach of the wide receivers, now again, this is Wesley talking about himself, so take this for what it's worth, but he believes he could have gotten Lamb Jones to be a really good wide receiver, and at the very least, he thinks that if there had been somebody there better working with him, that they could have done something with him. As it is, Lamb Jones had a disappointing career. He produced more along the lines of a number three receiver. That's more what you would expect from a mid to late round pick than a guy you trade up for to number two but even so he was always a class act you never heard any bad words about him I'm sure he was frustrated with the fans but he never let on always carried on with dignity and it's really sad that unfortunately he's left us way too soon Johnny Lamb Jones dead from cancer at the age of 60 Chris yeah absolutely you know obviously I I think pretty much just about everybody has somebody that has been affected in their lives by cancer so uh, most people can relate in some type of way to this it's not something anybody ever wants to hear you know 60 years old is it's a it's a a solid decent life but it's still too young you want more and uh you know it's a shame and you know obviously the his football career is beyond secondary here but uh you know it's obviously a shame and like i said every most people can relate in some type of way. You know, cancer has affected so many people, so it's, it's something we can all relate to. Should go without saying that for me, Chris, and everybody at Jets Insider and Turn On the Jets and Turn On the Jets Digital, a very heartfelt condolences to the friends and family of Johnny Lamb Jones, as I'm sure they're going through a terrible time right now. 
And as much as it's hard to talk about football with a story like that coming through, we will indeed proceed with what's going on with the Jets and other teams around the league. And we will start with the signing of Brian Poole, the slot corner from the Atlanta Falcons. The intel I have is that he's basically a younger buster screen, might hit a little bit harder, maybe slightly better in coverage, but not much. But I guess really, if you think about it, Chris, this is a move where they don't necessarily upgrade or downgrade. They get a guy who's right around the same, a little bit younger and on a relatively cheap deal. So I'm fine with it because as far as I'm concerned, it's a lateral move. And considering the options that were out there, I think that this is a perfectly acceptable option for them in the slot. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. The The one guy who's you know still out there, at, at least I haven't heard anything recently, is Bryce Callahan. But, you know, he's kind of in that uh, Matt Paradis situation right now. He had the injury, uh, so maybe that's holding things up for him. Uh, he, but he's the one guy out there that I can look at and say, you know, is a more talented player. But, you know, uh, we talked about this. Perry Nickerson is not somebody you can rely on with the way that he played when he did play last year. It's not somebody you can't look at his rookie season and be like, yeah, okay, we feel comfortable rolling with him in the slot. But that doesn't mean that it's not possible for him to take a huge leap going to his second year and get, you know, a full OTA and training camp under him. And uh, Greg Williams' defense may be a better fit. Who knows? Uh, so there's possibility there. And then they can still look to address this in the draft. And then, you know, we'll talk about this with, uh, you know, still addressing the center position. It is going to be more likely for this scenario to play out with cornerbacks is uh, you get training camp cut, cut still. So, you know, maybe they don't draft a cornerback, but somebody else does. And then there's that. And then there's also something else we'll talk about with the Vikings. There's a lot of noise about them shopping one of their cornerbacks right now as a potential option. So there's a lot of different moves. Like there's way more flexibility with what they can do at the cornerback position than their options are at like a center option right now. And then there's, you know, a lot of people on Jets Twitter talking about this lately and it's, you know, a little bit of a joke, but it's also true is it's cornerbacks, man. It's, it's almost a possible job in this league. So there's very, very few really good cornerbacks in this league. So you can quibble over the, the middle class of cornerbacks all you want, but they're still all just the middle class. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Since you brought up the center situation, let's talk about that a little bit. Manish Mehta of the Daily News reporting that what happened is essentially the Jets wanted Mitch Morse, but Buffalo got to him first and offered him way more money than the Jets were comfortable with. The Jets were comfortable at around the $10 million range. Doesn't matter because they never got a chance to make a formal offer anyway, and the Bills snatched him up. As far as Matt Paradis, the Jets just weren't comfortable making an offer there. They were afraid of that leg. They didn't want to make an investment there. And so there's really not much more to it than that. I would like to say I disagree with them on that, but I don't have access to the medical, so I can't really say one way or the other. And then obviously Manish is saying, and this should be common sense for anybody, that the Jets are going to be looking for a center in the draft and or when cuts happen June 1st and beyond. So really, as far as I'm concerned, that was all common sense. I'm not surprised by any of it, but that's essentially how the center thing played out, right, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. And and like I said, I, I had the parody stuff a little bit wrong at first because I thought that they, the Jets had made an offer and he was waiting for them to up it. 
But really what happened was he was just waiting for the Jets to make an offer. He expected it to. Everyone expected them to, and they just never did. And it's obviously because they had concerns about the injury and didn't want to pay him that type of money with those concerns about the injury. And I talked about it. This is the you know one of the downsides of the legal tampering period. Um, but that, that was the case for him. And Carolina decided to give him that contract, and he didn't waste any time. He said, all right. Jets aren't getting in on this, so I'll just take this Carolina deal now while I can. And, uh, you know, we haven't seen his medicals. The Jets and the Panthers didn't get a chance to see the medicals before that deal was signed. But uh, he's he's played. This was the one a real big injury. It's not like he's an injury risk or con- huge concern. It's just about how this is healing. If that heals fine, then he's going to be a really good center for the Carolina Panthers. More news involving guys that aren't going to be playing for the Jets in 2019, but in this case, it's guys that played for them in 2018. Mike Pinnell, the defensive lineman who was a nice rotation piece for the Jets last year, and Terrence Brooks, the safety who made a mark on special teams. They both end up signing with the Patriots. As I said on Twitter, cue all the Jets fans that are going to get hysterical and say that these two guys are going to be all pro players now. There is zero evidence for this weird narrative that has emerged that the Patriots scoop up Jets players and turn them into something good because, quite frankly, other than Danny Woodhead, this hasn't happened. So I don't know why people keep saying this, but nonetheless, Pinnell and Brooks go to New England, and we'll see what they do there, but they will not be returning to the Jets. Chris, thoughts on these two guys going to New England and why people are so bent out of shape and have invented this weird Patriots take all the Jets scrubs and turn them into great players narrative? It, it's weird. It's crazy. Like you said, Danny Woodhead is the one time where it really happened. And every single year, the Patriots pick up somebody from the Jets like, and fans freak out. Oh, my God, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. And then it just doesn't work. Half the time, the player doesn't even really play or even make the team. I mean, everyone freaked out when they signed Chad Hansen last year. I, I must have missed Chad Hansen's global season in New England last year. Uh, you know, it, it, David Harris, even Sean El- like all these Terrence Brooks and Mike Pinnell are so- very solid, good players in their small roles. They can do the same thing in New England, but they're not going to turn into difference makers who are playing a lot. The one thing I'll say is this isn't something that only applies to former Jet players. Basically, any time a, a player who was a disappointment somewhere ends up going to New England, everybody says, oh, my God, wait and see how the Patriots turn him around. And I get it to a degree because the Patriots do do that. They have a history of doing that, of finding a value player and then getting more out of him. But they, they throw a whole bunch of darts at the board. And they have as many hits as people remember. They seem to forget all the misses there. But this, the Patriots are basically with this strategy. They're a volume shooter. That's what they are. They're, they're, when you take that many shots, when you take that many chances, you can afford to have a whole bunch more misses. And then everyone's just got to remember the timely hits that they have. A bizarre narrative, no question, but one narrative that I'm really enjoying is the narrative of Darren Lee being really soft. That one being peddled by ex-Jets head coach Rex Ryan, who's been making the rounds. He said that C.J. Mosley coming in here meant they have a real linebacker now and referred to Darren Lee as soft as Charmin, which cracked me up. I'm telling you right now, Chris, I don't care what anybody says, the best move the Jets could ever make would be, and no disrespect to him because I'm sure he's a nice guy, 
to move Eric Allen into some other role in the organization and give that job that he has to Rex Ryan, how amazing would press conferences and team videos be with Rex Ryan at the helm? It would certainly be interesting, that's for sure. I mean, it would be entertaining, and uh, you know, I don't think the Jets would be too thrilled about him sitting there calling one of their players soft on the team website and stuff like that. So that that could cause some problems there. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you know, Rex. Rex is always gonna Rex. He's always gonna say some stuff. I, I'm never really comfortable with coaches and, and or anybody really calling NFL players soft. I mean, I get it, but all right, whatever. Um, it, so, but Rex is gonna Rex, and he's always gonna have some type of quote like that that's gonna grab attention and uh, you know, give you a good chuckle or two. I just thought it was hilarious, the same way that I've always found it funny that people call Chandler Canazero the Catman, like he's some sort of weird Batman villain in a parallel universe, and now we're going to hear it all over again, because as Jason Myers exits, Chandler Canazero comes back, the Catman re-signs with the Jets, and it looks like, at least for now, he is the favorite to be their kicker heading into the 2019 season. Yeah, Catman, Catman. Um, yeah, he's back, you know, I guess... He, uh... He didn't have a, enough warm weather options to uh, to go with, so he has to be willing to, to come back and possibly kick in the cold, which we know was part of the reason why he didn't want to be here last year. Um, but, you know, obviously, right now he's obviously the favorite. We'll look to see. They're obviously going to bring in some guys in training camp, you know, and undrafted free agents, uh, you know, rookies like that. You know, maybe we see Ross Martin come back in, in which case I will get suckered in by watching them boot 60-yard field goals again and talk about how they need to go, go with Ross Martin. And I'm totally here for that, and I'm totally ready and prepared to be wrong for, the, like, the third, I think this will be the third year I, I would have predicted Ross Martin to make the roster and end up being wrong. So I'm totally ready for that. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. We talked about how the Jets are thin at corner even after signing Brian Poole. One guy who could be an interesting option for the Jets is Trey Waynes, the cornerback on the Minnesota Vikings. All kinds of chatter that he could be on the trade market. Now, here's where it gets interesting with him. They picked up his fifth-year option, so that's fully guaranteed. So they have no reason to trade him unless they get what they feel is fair value. But he is a legitimate starting corner and still relatively young, and we know the Jets could desperately use an upgrade at that position. What do you think, Chris? Is this something the Jets should explore? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, now the, one of the questions you would have to do there is: Does that uh, trade there come with a uh, an extension, or do you just go and write it out? I think you could you could play it either way. Uh, and I think the Jets would be able to pull that off and, uh, you know, stick with just the one year, give him that one year test run, see how he does. I think he would probably be, be better suited to be here uh, playing man coverage in the Greg Williams defense than he would be to stay in Minnesota. I think that would make him look better and uh, he'd be a better player that way. The Vikings have some depth at cornerback. They're also kind of up against the cap. Uh, there, there's, uh, you know, they need to make some moves, free up some stuff. They also probably most likely want to try to do more to upgrade the offensive line, who was probably the worst in the league last year. So there's a lot of moving parts there, but a lot of reasons for the Vikings to entertain this trade idea. And I don't think it'll be caught to cost them too much. I think you could probably get 
uh, get him for, you know, a fourth or fifth round pick. And uh, that seems like a no-brainer to me. He, like I said, I think he'd be a good fit here playing man coverage in Greg Williams' defense. So if, if he can be had for a price like that, the, the Jets definitely look into it and try to do whatever they can to get it done. One guy a lot of people thought they would look into if the price was right was guy who was here before, Sheldon Richardson, defensive lineman who ended up signing with the Cleveland Browns. And I wanted to talk about this a little bit because I thought it was pretty funny and it might give you an opportunity to share some stories from when he was here. Sheldon Richardson talking yesterday at the press conference to introduce him as a new member of the Cleveland Browns. Somebody brought up the fact that Lamar Jackson, the quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens, was driving 105 miles an hour and posted it on Instagram. So I have to say this, even though it's going to make me sound like an angry old man. Listen, Lamar, if you're going to do that, do not put it on Instagram. For the love of God, keep it to yourself. Do not do that. I don't recommend driving 105 miles an hour anyway, but if you're going to do it, don't announce it to the world. So anyway, Sheldon was asked about that, and he said something along the lines of, nah, man, I have a daughter now. I can't go above 100, which made me laugh quite a bit, and it shows you what a character Sheldon is. He's a divisive guy because some people don't like the fact that he can be short, and he can come off as a little bit standoffish. You had a different impression of him, Chris, something a little bit closer to what we saw at that press conference and that line that made me laugh. Yeah, that that's the Sheldon I know. That's the Sheldon I got to know here. And part of it is I have a little bit of bias here because I can relate to him and his personality. And I know like the way that people feel about Sheldon and how he can come off short and kind of curt and stuff like that. I, 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 I come off that way occasionally to people too. And I never mean to, but it's, I'm an introvert and like, so I can come off kind of standoffish in that way. And, People misinterpret me a lot of ways, and I, I see a lot of that in Sheldon. One of the things that I always loved and was really impressed by with Sheldon was, especially when he first came in as a rookie, he has a really good perspective on things. He's able to just cut through a lot of the nonsense and just get right to it. Like, they were asking him about that, and he was like, listen, I was 24 years old with a Bentley. And it, like, it's that simple. <laughs> like, it, and it really is that simple. And people want to, you know, clutch their pearls and wring their hands about this stuff. When I was a teenager, I was driving uh, my parents' cars at 120 miles an hour. It was stupid. It was dumb. Absolutely. And now I barely go more than two miles an hour over the speed limit. I'm an old man driving. I'm sticking to the rules and the laws. But we all do dumb stuff when we're kids. And whether it's right or wrong, it happens. And especially when you got that much money involved. And I just think that a lot of times you get to know these players through sound bites and snippets and also through the ways that reporters frame their quotes and frame their stories. And that's how you get to know them. I got to know Sheldon. I got to sit down and talk to Sheldon and joke around with Sheldon. So I have a different viewpoint. I have and everything. Um, but it, it, I just feel like he was always uh, cast in a different light than he really was. He's a much more pleasant person. He came across as angry a lot. And at the end, there was a little bit of that. A lot of that was his relationship with the media and stuff. But uh, he was he's a really cheerful, pleasant person. And I just I really can't say enough good things about him as a person. 
he has a bit of a mixed reputation among the press and among fans, kind of the same way that Odell Beckham did. And now we know Odell Beckham is out. He got traded to the Cleveland Browns, so he'll be a teammate with Sheldon. That should be a fun locker room for the media because they'll get a lot of good quotes from Sheldon and Odell Beckham, who are colorful personalities. But the Giants replace Odell Beckham with Golden Tate, which is bizarre to me because as much as I like Golden Tate, he's 31 years old, and you go and you trade Odell Beckham, who's 26, and you bring this guy in. I can't decide whether or not the Giants are trying to rebuild or whether or not they're trying to compete right now. I don't think they really know which way they're going because every move they make seems to contradict the last one. I want to throw this out at you, Chris, because I said this on Twitter. Eli Manning has a $23 million cap number this year. If you were to waive him, you would save $17 million of that. His dead cap number is $6 million. Last year, it wouldn't have made sense because his dead cap number was something like $25 million. So this is the year to do it. What I was telling you is, before we got on the phone, if you would have done that, you could have franchised Tag Landon Collins and traded him, gotten a draft pick for him, and then taken that $17 million after you cut Eli and traded Landon Collins and gone out and signed Tate and brought in Teddy Bridgewater, who signed with the Saints for a one-year deal right around the annual value of what Golden Tate is going to get with the Giants. Both of those guys could have been signed for what Eli would cost you on the cap this year. And think about it, as I was telling you, Chris, how does this sound for an offense? An offensive line that's improved with Zeitler at guard now. You have Odell Beckham and Golden Tate as your wide receivers. Evan Ingram is your tight end. Saquon Barkley as a Swiss Army knife as the running back and a guy that can go out and run routes. And Teddy Bridgewater, who, by the way, if he can stay healthy and perform at 28 years old, he could be your quarterback and you may not even have to draft the guy. So that, to me, was the way to go. What they did is the exact opposite of it, and it makes no sense. I can't make heads or tails out of what the Giants are doing. Can you, Chris? No, absolutely not. I can't. You can't. I don't think they can either. Um, Real quick, before I go into this, just to jump on your comment about the personalities of the Browns, can we... Can we run back hard knocks over there? Can we just do a repeat, do the Browns again? I, I think we can get a, all get on board with that, right? Um, but back to the Giants, yeah, I don't, I don't understand what they're doing. Every move is counterproductive. It contradicts the move they're trying to do beforehand. And then the Golden Tate. Yeah, listen, I was, I've been a Golden Tate fan since he was at Notre Dame. I thought that the Jets should have signed Golden Tate over Eric Decker, even though. Both were obviously good choices at the time. And the fact that Decker's out of the league is due to probably those injuries more than anything else. Um, but I've, I've always liked Golden Tate, I, and I still think he's a good, solid receiver. But what do you do? why are you bringing him in now at, at that type of contract when you're not going to be competing? And then on top of that, they're gonna, they canceled out a comp pick that they were going to get. The Eagles get a comp pick now because of it, which they were probably going to get if he signed elsewhere. Maybe it would have been around lower, though, because it sounds like the Giants were willing to pay him the most money. Um, and then there's this fact also. Golden Tate, especially at this point in his career, is best when played in the slot. He does his most damage in the slot. The two best receivers that the Giants have are Sterling right now since Odell's gone. Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram, who guess what? Both do most the best damage from the slot. These guys can only play a little bit outside, but essentially you got three slot options now. And I mean, I don't know how this is going to work. And then to use with Eli too, 
that's that lineup works a lot better with Teddy Bridgewater as the quarterback than the Eli as the quarterback too. So, you know, I would definitely go the Teddy Bridgewater route. And we know, obviously, he went and talked to Miami. That wasn't appealing enough for him to leave New Orleans, but I feel like the Giants would have been. Um, and then, you know, there's Teddy. Teddy smart to sign a one-year deal because there's all this talk about the Saints being interested in having him take over for Drew Brees when Drew Brees does retire. But this gives uh, Teddy the option where he can just hang around, be the backup for a year. And then if, Te- if Drew Brees signs a new three-year deal, then he can say, okay, it's not going to happen for me here. I'm going elsewhere. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. To build on your point, Chris, I think for sure that an offense like we described would have been appealing enough to get Teddy Bridgewater here because he could have said to himself, all right, I'll sign a one-year deal. I've got all these weapons around me. As long as I don't get hurt, I should be able to be productive. And then whether it's the Giants or somebody else, I'm going to get myself paid. And for the Giants, at least there's upside there with Teddy because we know that before he got hurt, he was a top 10 to 15-ish quarterback, an above-average starter with upside and room for improvement and if you're the Giants and he comes in here and does well he could be your long-term solution at only 28 years old and then you don't have to worry about making some crazy move in next year's draft to get a quarterback and if he comes in here and it doesn't work out whatever then you can go and move on but with Eli you know what's going to happen already we saw what he's been like the last two years he's throwing ducks as I mentioned the other day he's been overrated his whole career anyway he was a middle of the pack quarterback maybe slightly above average but now he's toast he's one of the worst starters in the league you're going to keep trotting him out there and making all these contradictory moves I hate to admit this because he's wrong all the time and obnoxious but Jason Lockenfora had a really funny line this morning on Twitter he said the Giants seem hell-bent on putting together the oldest and most expensive 4-12 team in NFL history and to be honest Chris he's not wrong at all no he's absolutely right there and uh you know this is the thing because this is the other Compare the styles and the types of quarterbacks Teddy Bridgewater and Eli are. Is. Eli is a chucking deep quarterback, and that's basically it with him. And that's how he's always been. And obviously, it's been magnified more, and he's gotten worse as he's gotten older. And, the, you know, the yes, of course, the offensive line wasn't great the last couple of years, but people want to point to that and act like that's the sole reason and just get him a line and they'll be fine. No, no, no. He like you said, he was overrated his whole career. And you you talked about, you know, it may be a little above average for a couple of those years. I'd even argue that he had he's had moments where he was above average, but then literally in the same game he could be back to below average. He's one of the most inconsistent quarterbacks I've ever seen. And he had those two Super Bowl runs and, and he's going to end up getting to the Hall of Fame because of that because even though he doesn't deserve it. And uh but you look at Teddy Bridgewater and he's kind of, you know, an upgraded Chad Pennington. He's he's got a little stronger arm, but he's a smart quarterback. He's more uh, you know, people wanted to paint Teddy with the mobile brush and he's not uh, what had you know, a mobile, but he's more mobile than a lot of guys and more mobile than Pennington. So he's kind of more in the Pennington mode. Uh, he's not going to be making huge uh, plays downfield, but he's more of a short game guy, short game area. So like I said, it lines up with having all your weapons, all your receiving weapons be from the slot or the backfield. I think I'd trust Teddy Bridgewater to execute that 
more than I would to trust Eli Manning to execute that type of game plan. And at the very least, like I said, there's upside with Teddy. And if it doesn't work out, fine. You move on next year and draft a guy. But with Eli, you know it's a disaster. And there's no reason to keep him on here with a $23 million cap hit. That's the craziest part of all. You let Landon Collins walk. You trade Odell Beckham. And you're keeping Eli Manning on the roster with a $23 million cap figure when you could cut bait and save $17 million when he's one of the worst starting quarterbacks in the NFL. And you could have signed both Golden Tate and Teddy Bridgewater for the same price you're paying Eli and kept Odell Beckham. It just boggles the mind. I don't know what the Giants are thinking, but to be fair, I don't think they know what they're thinking either at this point. We talked about Golden Tate going to the Giants. I thought he would have been a strong option for the Jets, no question about it. Instead, they went with Jamison Crowder because he's younger, and I'm all for that. I like building this young team, but if the Jets had signed Golden Tate now, I would have had no problem with it. The same way that I would have had no problem if the Jets would have taken the draft pick that they traded for Brett Favre to the Green Bay Packers and used it on the guy that they ended up using it on was Jordy Nelson. Jordy Nelson had a really nice career with the Green Bay Packers. Then he got cut and moved on to the Oakland Raiders. Unfortunately, his days in Oakland are done now too. He's been released. So as we move along to news and notes from around the league, that's the first news and note that Jordy Nelson has been released from the Oakland Raiders. I think we all kind of realized that was coming right after they signed Terrell Williams to that big contract. From there, A.J. McCarron released by the Raiders. Hey, remember when the Browns were going to trade a second-round pick for him and make him their starter? Fun times. Jason Verrett gets signed by the 49ers to a one-year deal. That's a great move by them because it's a low-cost signing, and if he's healthy, he can be a really good player. If not... He spent $3.5 million, and it's not the end of the world. So I like that for the 49ers. Also, Kareem Hunt is not going to appeal his eight-game suspension, so he will miss the first half of the 2019 season, and then when he resumes it, he will be on a new team, the Cleveland Browns. And the last note here, Chris, that I thought was really funny, J.P. Losman, the former Buffalo Bills quarterback who hasn't played in the NFL since 2011, he was tossing the ball around at Clemson's Pro Day because he's a coach at Clemson now, and he was apparently throwing so well that one of the scouts that was there asked Losman if he had any interest in a comeback. The answer from Losman was no, but I had to mention it, Chris, because it was a really funny story. Imagine seeing a guy that had been retired for eight years, see him throwing some nice spirals, and then you ask him about whether or not he wants to make a comeback. I guess that's why so many of these scouts are still impressed when guys do things in drills at the combine in shorts and a t-shirt with nobody around to defend them. But I did find that amusing, and J.P. Losman, of course, wisely saying, no, I'm not thinking about a comeback. I'm very happy here as a coach at Clemson. So, Chris, as we finish our notes around the league, any thoughts? Yeah, you know, the Losman thing is crazy and ridiculous, uh, but it's par for the course with NFL and NFL scouts. We're not talking about, like, Peyton Manning uh, a couple years out, and then it's like, uh, hey, whoa, he's still ripping it. Maybe he can still play, you know? Maybe those time off got the next. We're talking about J.P. Losman eight years ago. He wasn't good when he was in the league. I don't. What could he possibly do throwing the ball around in that environment that would make anybody say, hey, do you have interest in coming out? Or, I don't, he could literally be throwing the ball to the moon, and I wouldn't, I'd still be like, yeah, whatever. I, I saw enough J.P. Losman to, to pass on that. Um, you know, the Verrett thing is an interesting move, like you said, smart move. The only the only thing I'll say about, you know, the gamble with moves like that is and they're always good to take. You just have to make sure you have other options 
in case he does get hurt. If if you go into it where you're just like, okay, we're going to give this guy a chance and we don't prepare for him to get hurt, then that's going to blow up your face most of the time. But if you go in there and you prepare for a guy like that to get hurt and then you can just be happy and, and you get lucked out if he stays healthy and has a great year, he is a really talented quarterback. Um, so if he can stay healthy, it'll be work out great for them. Uh, the cream hunt is the big thing there, though. Uh, obviously, we all know what he did. The, the, everything, obviously, it wasn't. Oh, we all knew something kind of happened, but no one really cared until the video was released. And obviously, that was not what you want. You don't. Nobody condones that. But the way he has handled this since then. Is, has been perfect. He has owned it all. He has not tried to sit there and be like, well, let me tell you why. He's just all the mistake. He, the, I, the fact that he's not trying to even bother to appeal it is a smart move for him. And future players, you get yourself into trouble like Kareem Hunt, even if it's lesser, not domestic, uh, you know, violence against women related. Take notes on how he's handled everything since then. Just own the mistake. Just admit it. Just apologize. Don't try to qualify qualifiers on your apology. Just do it. Go through the process. Accept whatever punishments there, and the teams will open welcome you back with open arms. Well said, Chris. Well said. As we wrap things up here on this edition of the podcast, thanks so much for hopping on with me, Chris. Really appreciate it. We will be back tomorrow. I'm sure there will be plenty more news because every single day there's been a bunch of stuff to get to. Jam-packed edition of the podcast every single day, and we will unwind and unwrap everything tomorrow as we have every day this week. Chris, I'm sure you have plenty to say about this in long form, too, over at JetsInsider.com, so why don't you let everybody know what you got cooking and how they can follow you on social media. Yeah, you can follow me at CNimbly on Twitter uh, and at JetsInsider also, and JetsInsider.com, and yeah, like I said, I got a, a bunch a bunch of stuff I'm going to pump out starting next week up. Uh, about uh, you know, starting with Le'Veon Bell, talking about everything there, and all the all the things that make him so special. I'm going to dig into the same type of thing on the other side of the ball with C.J. Mosley, and uh, you know that that's kind of flying out under the radar. Just how uh, everyone was excited about it, but like he is a really good middle linebacker and side linebacker. I know sometimes we get lost on the undervaluedness of it, but he is really good there. So I'm going to start uh, digging into these players and Jamison Crowder to highlight ways to show you what it is that they do really best, how the jets can maximize their ability and get the most out of them and how it can help the rest of the team. Make sure you go and read all of that over at JetsInsider.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast, you know where to go. That's turn on the Jets digital and turn on the Jets.com.